0: Week 18 of the reign of David, a dynasty of kings, 32 weeks, wow, we were in about 16 weeks of uh, the story of David, now we're in the reign of David, and tonight I'm talking about a dynasty of kings, we, we've been covering from the moment he was a shepherd to last week we found out David was in his old age, and uh, this week is Christmas, and I don't know about you, but I love Christmas. Um, I I love gifts, and I love the food, and I love having time off, and I love watching good, wholesome movies like Elf, and and, I mean the nativity story. Um, (laughs) But uh, I I love Christmas time, and um, I love the Christmas story, and one thing that I enjoy doing is bringing some new light Because I don't know about you But I just don't want to hear that Jesus was born And put in a manger I want to hear some more stuff I want to hear how this applies to me I want to hear how this uh, gets me more on track With who I'm supposed to be And and this title of this message that Dynasty of Kings um, The thing I want us to leave here tonight with Is understanding that we are that dynasty We are that dynasty of kings And there's so many times in life Where we live as if we are, we are less than, and we, and we live as if we're on the bottom of the totem pole, and God says, no, 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 I have raised you to a standard. I have raised you unto righteousness. I call you holy, and I want you to operate as my kings of the earth. See, none of y'all said amen because it's a foreign sound because usually in church it's just depending on God, but let's add to it and realize we depend on God in reigning in our authority. We don't reign on our own accord. We reign on his behalf. We listen to what he wants for us. And tonight, that's what we're going to be diving into. So, earlier in the series, when David was wrestling about answering the call to become a king, uh, back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, David starts talking to this dude named Nathan. And I want to start out in verses 1 through 3 of 2 Samuel chapter 7. It says, When King David was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all the surrounding enemies, the king summoned Nathan the prophet. This is when David had, had just won victories. He, he, was, he was becoming established and he was getting a little unhappy about what his palace looked like and what the Lord was in. Um, the Lord, the presence of God, was in what we know as the Ark of the Covenant. It was a a very beautiful box, but it was in a tent. And tents back then weren't exactly the greatest, most luxurious things. And David, this was troubling David. So in verse 2 it says, the king summoned Nathan the prophet. Look, David said, I'm living in this beautiful cedar palace, but the ark of God is out there in a tent. And Nathan replied to the king, go ahead, do whatever you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. David was wanting to build something for God. He was wanting to build something to what he felt like was a little bit more suitable for the presence of God. In cedar wood, we see that this is what David was living in, this palace made of cedar wood. It was very expensive, it was very beautiful, and it bothered David that he was in this beautiful thing and the presence of God was just in a tent. So David had this good intention. He said, I want to build something for my God. And there's so many times where we get to a place in life where we want to build something for God. We say, God, what can I build for you? And the thing that, that David's going to find out is sometimes we got to realize that the thing God built is not something like this to dwell in, but, he's, but he's, we're going to find out. God says, I don't want to be limited to a spot that you build. I want to live in you and travel wherever you go. I don't want people to come to a building to get my presence. I want them to get my presence by simply shaking your hand. Amen. Amen. And David is about to talk to Nathan because he was very humble to speak to this man, Nathan the prophet. And I believe many of us want to build these great things, but we forget the power of consulting those, especially gifted in hearing the voice of God. The Bible talks about different giftings, the the apostles, the prophets, the teachers, the pastors, the evangelists, those gifted with tongues, the interpretation tongues, discernment, all these things. And a lot of times we have these grandiose ideas of let's build something and and, and we forget to consult those around us who are supposed to be helping us in what we're supposed to be called to. Amos chapter 3 even tells us that God does not do a thing until he reveals it to his prophets first. He doesn't do anything until he reveals it to prophets first. That's why the Bible is specific when you're building something. It says that you have to write the vision down and make it plain because the vision was revealed through a prophetic gifting and then you write down the vision to make it plain for people who didn't see what you saw. So David consults a prophet. He says, hey man, I'm not really cool with living in this beautiful place while my God is out in the tent. And the prophet Nathan's like, "Yeah that's cool. I mean, do what you want to do. You seek God, you're great." And verse four it says, "But that same night, the Lord said to Nathan, "Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord has declared. Are you the one to build a house for me to live in? I have never lived in a house. I have never lived in a house from the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until this very day. I have always moved from one place to another with a tent and a tabernacle as my dwelling. Yet no matter where I've gone with the Israelites, I have never once complained to Israel's tribal leaders, the shepherds of my people Israel. I have never asked them, why haven't you built me a beautiful cedar house? Now go and say to my servant David, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I took you from tending sheep in the pasture and selected you to be the leader of my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you've gone. I've destroyed all your enemies before your eyes. And now I will make your name as famous as anyone who has ever lived on the earth. Look at this. David is complaining about, I want to build something better for God. And God's saying, I don't want you concerned with building something for me. I want to build something for you. Not exactly the the typical message that we usually hear because we always talk about serving unto the Lord and doing unto the Lord. And God's like, David, I don't need you to build me anything right now because I've got a bigger picture and I've got a bigger plan, and you are simply part of what I want to do. Verse 10 I will provide a homeland for my people Israel, planting them in a secure place where they will never be disturbed. Evil nations will oppress them as they've done in the past starting from the time I appointed judges to rule my people Israel and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Furthermore, the the Lord declares that he will make a house for you, a dynasty of kings. I am so glad that David had the knowledge to consult the prophet Nathan because David could have wasted tons of time and resources building building a beautiful cedar house that God never wanted to stay in. And I think there are so many times in life where we spend all this time trying to build these things for God and God says, I'm not interested in you building me something. I'm interested in building you. We put all this time into ministries and programs and, and building things, and there's nothing wrong with those things. After all, God gave David specific instructions of how the palace was to look and how the tent was supposed to look and how uh, how the, 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 the meeting places was supposed to look. There's nothing wrong with that, but God is saying, I need you to focus on the thing that I want you to focus on, and the thing I want you to focus on is not the kid running around, but Pastor Kyle up front. <laughs> He says, the thing I need you to focus on is what I want to do in you. Why would God want to build David's house? Because God had a plan. God had a bigger picture. And in 2 Samuel chapter 7, starting in verse 12, it says, For when you die, And are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name. I will secure his royal throne forever. I will be his father. He will be my son. If he sins, I will correct and discipline him with the rod like any father would do, but... My favor will not be taken from him as I took it from Saul. When I removed from your sight, whom I removed from your sight, your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time, and your throne will be secure forever. David consults a prophet, and God tells the prophet to tell David, I've got one of your descendants many years from now who's going to build my house. Well, Kyle, what does this have to do with the Christmas story? Because you're talking about David wanting to build a palace and God says, no, I got someone who's going to build my dwelling place. Right now, I'm focused on you. And the reason why God is focused on David It's because God is a God who does not abolish law. He fulfills it. I've read the scripture the past two weeks. I'm going to read it again tonight. It says in Matthew 5, 17, do not misunderstand this is Jesus talking why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest, smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. And one of the details of the law of God is for someone to walk into the position of a king, they have to come from a lineage of generations from a king. And even though God is God and he is amazing and he can do what he wants to do, when a king decrees something, it cannot be taken back. That is why in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 it tells you to be watch out what you promise God for because you're a king under the king of kings and when you decree something, it is. That's why God says if you can't keep your promises, keep your mouth shut because you will be held accountable for what you promise and what you decree. God is held to his own standard. He says, I cannot go back on my law. And my law says, if I'm going to bring a king into the earth that is going to build me a house, he has got to come from a king on the earth. And David, I choose you. Because you worship me and you are a man after my own heart. So so God has this conversation to the prophet. He says, David, I've got someone who's going to build my house. But I need to establish a king that's going to bring forth generations of more. God says, there's only one who can build me a house. I've got to let him come into the earth. And David, I'm choosing you to start that lineage. And in verse 11, we read that he will make a house for you, a dynasty of kings. And look at what he says in verse 16. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time. And your throne will be secure forever. He says, I'm going to build, I am going to bring one of your descendants who is going to build me a house I need to focus on building you and your house so that your lineage can give birth to a king that I'm bringing who's going to build my house that will make sure that my dynasty and kingdom will reign forever and ever and ever. And where we have missed it in church is we think that that dynasty stopped with King Jesus. But that is not when it stopped. It's when it was fulfilled and we carry it out until the end. We are a dynasty of kings. And the passage is a little confusing at first. Is this all right? Because I want to read verses 14 and 15 again. It's kind of confusing. It says, I will be his father and he will be my son. If he sins, wait a minute. They can't be talking about Jesus. If he sins, I will correct and discipline him with the rod like any father would do. But my favor will not be will not be taken from him as I took it from Saul. We think that that can't be talking about Jesus because Jesus didn't sin. But look at what 2 Corinthians 5.21 says. For God made the one and only who did not know sin to become sin so that we, so that we who did not know righteousness might become the righteousness of God through our union with him. He became sin and his discipline was that he would spend three days paying for our own. Jesus did not spend three days in heaven to perform a magic trick called resurrection. He was disciplined by the rod of his father and he paid a penalty for what he became, sin. And he went down into a deathly grave, was disciplined for three days, but look at what the prophecy says, I will discipline him if he sins, but my favor won't be removed. So he spent three days as sin being disciplined by paying a penalty and because he was a true servant king, the favor stayed and the favor that was, the favor that was on him produced the fruit called resurrection. Does this make sense? And the prophets prophesied it. Look at all the prophecies, prophecies starting in Jeremiah 23, verses 5 through 6. The time is coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up a righteous descendant from where? King, David. king David's line. He will be a king who rules with wisdom. He will do what is just and right throughout the land. This will be his name. The Lord is our righteousness. In that day Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. Isaiah nine, six through seven, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders. He'll be called wonderful counselor, a mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and his peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David. For all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord's heaven armies will, will, will make this happen. You see, he had to come from a kingly lineage. God just could it, it, I, I'm getting ahead of myself. Look in Luke chapter 1, 31 through 33. Here's, you will conceive, this is the angel talking, and give birth to a son. You will, you will name him Jesus. He will be very great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor, David. He, he will get that throne. And he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. What did the prophet Nathan tell David? He said, God told me that I need, you need to focus on God building your house because your lineage is going to give birth to a descendant who will build God's house, and when he does that, there will be a dynasty of kings, and that kingdom will never end. David, your lineage will be sustained. And in Luke, the angel Gabriel talking to Joseph, he will reign and his kingdom will never end. This was not new news to Mary and Joseph. This was something prophesied in the days of King David. Why is it that you think everyone was surprised when a king from the line of David showed up in a horse trough? They were looking for what they knew a king to be because they were correct in understanding he would come from a kingly lineage. So fast forward hundreds of years later. This is this interesting? In Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26, in the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. I don't think that's coincidence. Well, Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Talk about bringing some clarity to confusion. You wake up one day, you're pregnant, and you're like, I ain't ain't been with no one. Why is there something kicking? Confused in the serve. Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. You found favor with God. I I, I love the sarcasm of God. You found favor with me, so now you're pregnant and you're going to have child pains even though you never had sex with anybody. He's just such a comical guy to me. He's like, you found favor, pregnancy. <laughs> yeah. You will conceive and give birth to a son. Who You will name him Jesus. He'll be very great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. And he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary found favor with the Lord. The angel prophesied the coming of a king. And he says, he will be given his throne, the descendant of King David. Now, wait a minute. Because according to God's law, a king has to come from the line of a what? A king. But Mary was a virgin. So was Jesus truly from the lineage of King David? Well, the lineage of Jesus is recorded in two places in Scripture. Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 3. And some think the lineages contradict each other because there are some differences. And there are two key differences that I'm going to show you. In Matthew chapter 1, it says this. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon. And if you remember, Solomon, he would be the next in line from king, in, in, the, in the kingdom when David dies. And he was from Bathsheba. Now look at Luke 3 at the same place in the lineage. Eliakim, sure, was the son of Malia. Malia was the son of Menna. Menna was the son of Matatha. Mattatha was the son of Nathan. And Nathan was the son of David. So you got two lineages. And here's the difference in Matthew and Luke. In Matthew, it talks about Solomon. And Luke, it talks about Nathan. Two different sons in the lineage. Matthew's genealogy was following Joseph's line through David, son of Solomon. Luke's genealogy was following Joseph's line through David's son, Nathan. Now, back then, the reason they followed certain lineage lines through the father was because they never recorded anything about the mama. It was all about Joseph. So in the writings, we see that both of these lineages are about Joseph being a descendant from David. But here still lies the issue I have when studying this because if my king's got to come from a kingdom lineage, then how is it that he is of kingdom lineage, born of a virgin who's a nobody? Is this interesting? Well... In the beginning and the end of each of these bloodline lineages, it mentions Jesus. At the end of the lineage of Matthew 1, it says this in verse 16. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who was called the Messiah. Luke 3.23. Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his public ministry. Jesus was known as the son of Joseph. And Joseph was the son of Heli. Now in Luke's gospel, you've got the name listed in two ways depending upon the translation, the Greek and the Hebrew. Sometimes it's Heli. Sometimes it's Eli. You follow me? Let's read Luke 3.23 in the Amplified Version and if you don't know what the Amplified version is, it has given you the meanings of the original content. It says, when he began his ministry, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age, being as was, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Eli, by marriage. Who was Joseph married to? Many people have disagreements on this, but this is the general consensus, and this is what I believe to be true. Jesus was of a pure kingdom lineage because you have Joseph that is tied to King David, and it says in the second lineage that Joseph married into a lineage also from King David. So the descendants of Mary and Joseph Met both requirements for a king to come into the world. Because God can't pass up his own law. Is it making sense so far? Yes. <laughs> so, both genealogies go back to David, and here it comes in Luke chapter 2. At the time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for their census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. You see, Bethlehem was not just a cool place to pick for God to say, let's use this for the Christmas story. The reason Jesus was born in Bethlehem had less to do with Jesus and more to do with the lineage from King David. And the reason I'm pointing this out is because Christians become to this place where always about God will do, God will do, God will do. And the message that I want to bring you tonight is this. God says, I want to birth things into this world, and it's going to come because you being obedient to my decrees and commands. And we want to see God do things in our families and in our finances, in our jobs. And God says, I want to birth it out of heaven into earth. But you've got to be obedient to something. And the only reason Jesus could come when he came is because if you read the lineage, it was 25 or 30 generations of people saying yes to God, even in their mess-ups. And it all stemmed from one guy in the very beginning saying yes to God and said, instead of building you a house of cedar, I'm going to focus on building what you've called me to build, and that's a kingdom. You have the story of the Daniel fast and all the churches are really original and do a 21-day fast in January. The whole fast was about Daniel fighting something to enter into earth from the realm of heaven, being obedient to what God was given him. God says, here it is. Now fast until you can break it down through spiritual warfare into the earth. And everyone always asked that question why did God wait so long for Jesus to get born? Why didn't He just get it over with? Because God cannot get outside of His own law. And it was generation after generation after generation until finally one 15 year old virgin found favor. Verse 5, he took with Mary, he took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came from her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no lodging available for them. A descendant of David, born of a virgin in David's hometown, destined to be the king of the world. All because God said, David, I know you want to build me a house, but let me build yours. Because what I need, you won't meet him Until years and years and years long after you've passed. God fulfills his own law. A seed produces after its own kind. My son... The king must be born through kingly lineage. And speaking of law, you remember earlier the prophecy, how it says that if he sins, I will punish him. And we talked about how he became sin. Well, look at what happens eight days after the birth. In Luke 2, verse 21, it says eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel even before he was conceived. Then it was time for their purification offering as required by what? The law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. That's where the church gets the term baby dedication. The law of the Lord says, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord. Either a pair of turtle doves, or two young pigeons. Two turtle doves and a. Po- <laughs> you want to know why they were turtle doves? Because the worthy offering was a lamb, but they were too poor to afford a lamb. So they paid two turtle doves to purify the lamb that was to be slain. <laughs> I'm I'm sorry, but that gives me chills. Mary and Joseph were simply being obedient to law, and Jesus fulfilled it. The reason they dedicated babies, because it was a recognition of saying, this baby is a sinner, so we have to purify him. Jesus was purified, but he had to fulfill law, so he went through the process of being made right. And if you go back to the lineages we read in Matthew and Luke, the lineage that was actually Mary's description actually mentions and goes all the way back to Adam. And Jesus is referred to as the second Adam. Why? Adam was a son of God. But we, when he fell into sin, he lost all the rights of a son. So now God says, I have no more sons. I have no more daughters. So David, I know you want to build me something. But let me build your house so that your lineage can give birth to my one and only son. And because I have to fulfill my law, I'm going to sacrifice the lamb, my one and only son, so that I could get back all my sons and daughters again. A dynasty of kings. Do not minimalize who you are in the kingdom of God. You were not forgotten. You're not just someone that was born into the earth. You're not a mistake. You're not in. You are a part of a dynasty. And what the church has done for so long is we've been building cedar houses, saying, God, come. And God says, that was never my plan. In fact, I told David, no. And what we come is to church is we come expecting, if this building grows, that must mean we're growing. So we invest all these resources into physical places and trying to get the most up-to-date stuff and the most trendy things. And God says, I'm not building that. That may be a place you gather, but that's not what hosts my presence. It's not an altar you build. It's not a building that looks holy. It's you. It's funny how King Jesus and King David, the ones God used to get us to where we can be righteous and made holy, Both started out in the humble means of David being just a shepherd and Jesus being so poor he couldn't even offer a lamb that he would become. But God didn't see who they were via circumstances. When he saw David a shepherd, he says, that's the king that I'm bringing my son through. And when the baby came, he said, that's my king, who I'm going to redeem my sons through. And in Luke 2.25, it says, at that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. They were all waiting. The Holy Spirit was upon him, and he had revealed to him that he would not die until he saw the Lord's Messiah. And that day the spirit led him to the temple. And when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby to the Jesus, to the Lord, as required by law, it's amazing what God will lead you to when you follow the law. Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms, praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you promised. I have seen your salvation which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. What if you've missed out on that Simeon experience of people seeing the light of salvation in you because you didn't obey a simple command to go? The reason Simeon saw Jesus was because of the obedience of Mary and Joseph to bring A baby conceived of a virgin, a clean baby, to a temple to be made clean. And because they followed the law of Moses, Simeon saw what he had been waiting for all his life. And I cannot help but to think at Christmas especially, how many people are waiting to see salvation and they find it in drugs, they find it in alcohol, they find it in sexual promiscuity, they find it in lust, they find it in pleasures of the world, and all they're waiting on is for you to say yes one time to be in the place with the right attitude and the fruit of the Spirit so that when they look at you, they say, Oh, my gosh, I have seen the Messiah because they looked at you. Because when the king came, he said, It ain't stopping me. But it has to begin with me. I've got to make my kings worthy. I've got to redeem them. I've got to save them. I've got to bring them back. And Jesus knew the kind of house that the Father brought this king to build. Because remember, he said, David, I, I don't need a cedar house. And in 1 Peter 2, he tells us what kind of house we need. Look at this in 1 Peter 2, 5. You are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. You know Through the the mediation of King Jesus, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. Keep that up there. You know what's what's significant about that? Back in this time, there was one high priest that could enter into the presence of God once a year. And he says, I want to build these people to be the stones that contain the presence. And I'm going to make you the priests where you can enter anytime you want. And we treat Jesus like a once a week God. He went through generation after generation after generation after generation and failures and pitfalls and successes and triumphs just to get his son into this earth so that we could carry his name everywhere. we're a dynasty of kings you see it's not just a a cool Christmas story it's not just it's not something to be taken lightly everything that King David said yes to and no to was for us it was for the birth of King Jesus and the thing about it and we've been talking about all night is that God's law is law and he can't go back on his law the reason Jesus was put into the earth was because he was from a kingly lineage, right? A king has to come from a king. That means if he calls us kings of the earth, what lineage did we have to come from? The same lineage that Jesus did, which was from who? Now, that's something difficult to swallow because How can we prove that we're all from that lineage? Say, prove it. Ephesians 1 5. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. We were adopted into a kingdom lineage. So what are you going to do with it? You're not from a lineage of brokenness. You're not from a lineage of my father did this and my mother did that. You're not, you're not from a generational lineage of, of all these bro- You brokenness. When you said, Jesus, I am yours, you were adopted into kingship. So why are you still letting your circumstances rule you when you have the authority of the king of the earth? We're a dynasty of kings. And if you needed more proof, look at Revelation 19.16, talking about Jesus. On his robe, at his thigh, was written the title, the capital K, king of all kings. The Lord of all lords. You know why there's a capital and little capital? Because when you refer to God, you capitalize a name in the Bible. So it's the king of kings. So, I wonder what throne are you representing when you talk to your family, when you show up at work, when you post on your social, when you talk to your kids, when you make all these decisions? What throne are you representing? Because my Bible tonight says that His kingdom will never end. We don't get to a place where it's done, it's forever. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to live a life based off of when is it over and I've only got this much time. Can I just give you some, some enlightenment? I've got all the time in the world because I'm, there, I'm not dying. I'm not dead. I have everlasting life through the King Jesus who who bought me to become a king just like him. And I want to be the mirror image of God in the earth, just like he was the mirror image of God in the earth. I want to be like him. I want to look like him. And for God's sakes, I want to reign like him. But do you really believe you're of that kingly dynasty? And there is a way to lead in that dynasty of kings. And look at this part of the Christmas story that tells us in Luke 2, verse 8. It says, That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem. The city of David. It's funny. King David, who God laid the groundwork for, started out as a what? A shepherd. And the first people God reveals himself to, shepherds. He laid the foundation in the exact same way. Because great dynasty begins with humble servants. Great dynasties begin with people saying, I am all about everything else. You know why King David was great? Because he proved himself worthy as a worshiper and stewarded the sheep. He cared more about keeping them alive than his well-being. He, it says he learned to fight lions and bears with his bare hands. Can you imagine learning how to do that? It probably started out tough. And yet when God calls us to do something, our first response is, I'm not worthy, I don't have the skill, I'm not there, and God's like, I know, that's why I called you, because you're a humble shepherd. So why don't you start going through the process to become a king? Think about Simon and Peter. He calls Simon someone who goes back and forth, someone who's not solid, he calls him Peter the rock. He says, I don't see you as what you are. I see you as what I've called you to be. Think about King David. I don't see you as a shepherd. I see you as a king. And now when God looks at you through the lineage of King David, through King Jesus who adopted you into that kingly lineage, he says, I don't see you as a victim. I see you as a king. but it's up to you to walk in it. And you're going to mess up. Peter messed up over and over and over. David messed up over and over and over. But the way I view you does not change. The reason I gave you the law was not to slap you on the wrist and make you follow rules. I gave you the law because it guides you into how I see you. You see, it's no longer I need to follow the Ten Commandments so that I can be made right with God. The Ten Commandments didn't make me right. Jesus made me right. The Ten Commandments got me on the path to my destiny as a king. But do you really believe you're of that dynasty? Do you really believe that great dynasty starts with humble servants? We all want the fruit of the kingdom. We all want great things. We want healing. We, we want a move of God. We want revival. We want the city saved. We want uh, sons and daughters to, 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 to be welcomed into our homes. And we want the homeless to get out of homelessness. And we want addicts to, to be free. And we want cancer to go. And we want great leaders. And God's like, where are my kings? Where are the people that I have called to rule this place? Remember how he described King Jesus? The the prophecy, the government will be on his shoulders. Well, if you get in that lineage, how do you think the government's going to be played out? Through us. The Bible refers to the church with this word called ecclesia. You know what the ecclesia was? It was a group of people who met every 10 days to decide on the rulings before Athens and Rome would pass laws. The ecclesia made the decisions and then gave it to the government because the government would rest on its... And he says, you're the ecclesia now. So why does he say to honor governing leaders? Because they're not really the ones leading. They're supposed to be resting on our shoulders. But we don't give them rest. We give them strife and grief. You know, I know it's Christmas, but we're in the time of impeachment and all this. And every Christian's, let's pray for Trump. But let's not forget, we're also supposed to pray and love the people who we don't like doing things because we're the kings that are supposed to be showing light for their salvation but we don't shine light we shine hate and we shine judgment we shine all these things we are the dynasty that our nation is supposed to rest on so let's start showing people how to do it let's start showing people what order looks like in our houses let's start showing people what love really looks like And justice really looks like. For hundreds and hundreds of years, people were obedient, and King Jesus came. And the prophecy says that it was to bring a dynasty of kings that will rule this earth forever and ever and ever, and the kingdom wouldn't end. I am not going to accept the fact that we're coming to an age where the government's going to tell the church what we can and can't do. We're not going to be a people that's going to take that on as our reality. I don't care what the government takes. The church is not dependent upon their yes and their no and their okay. I don't care if we have a building. I don't care if the only thing we could do was meet outside and talk about God. Nothing. We are the kings. We are the authority. But do we submit to the ultimate authority? The great thing about Christmas this year that I want us all to leave with tonight is this. God fulfills every law he's ever commanded to bring about one thing and one purpose, to redeem the people. He redeemed you. He bought you. Now let's start showing this world what kings look like. Amen? Amen.